I mean, I mean, I know as our uh, as as our old friend Bridget used to say, sort of what what was her phrase? Something about like poor life choices. But I find the sound of an airplane very calming. It puts me right to sleep. So are there people that don't? I thought that like emulates the womb. I thought that was well, well, it, it's it's good. But <laughs> but but the reason that I find it so calming is that I have spent so much time in an airplane. True. Like yeah, and so. and it's just like of all places. Well, hmm, wow, I'm really doing some self analysis here. But I feel like. I feel very safe on an airplane. Like, in fact, so on an airplane, it's not going to go down, despite what people think. It's probably more dangerous for me to get on my bike and, like, bike around my neighborhood than, uh, you know, someone's just got to... I believe that would be exponentially more dangerous. Right, whereas an airplane... Right, super safe. Now, the other thing on an airplane, it's a complete guilt-free zone. If you don't actually get anything productive done on an airplane, not your fault. Yeah. Right. Like, so you, you literally are forced if you so welcome it and also have no children to watch. This is very key. Like you have like, it's, uh, you're forced to relax. There's no excuse not to. So exactly. You know, I I, I I look forward to my plane time now, but now on plane time, do you see the, um, the, the idea of being disconnected as a feature or a bug. Like, so I guess you can't use, you know, you can't text people and get emails. I mean, again, there's Uh various uh degrees, like some plane, obviously there's Wi-Fi depending on which plane you're on and like where you're flying. So what do you like? Do you prefer, uh, let's call it like uh, no Wi-Fi somewhere over the Atlantic ocean really can't be reached for two to three hours at least, Uh if not longer. Or do you prefer like, a long uh, continental flight where you can kind of be like just do, you're on Delta with the good Wi-Fi and you kind of just do whatever you want. Like which which flight do you prefer better, Kote? Now I feel like this is the kind of question that a fantastic therapist would ask you. They're really trying to like needle down mm-hmm. to like true you because I think the way I would answer that, and this has evolved over the. I was thinking about this recently. I started traveling seriously for uh, seriously without a smile. Uh, for work in 2005. So that's 18 years, almost 20 years. And back then there was no Wi-Fi on planes. So it was a completely like guilt-free experience. But what I like to do now is I think internet availability on planes, everyone assumes you have internet on planes, but someone who would penalize you for, for slacking off travels enough to know that it doesn't work that great. Right. And you also have to pay for it. So I think what you can do is you can kind of elect to be responsible. So getting around to answering your questions, of course, you're going to get Internet. Your experience is going to be much better. Right. You're going to get the Internet. But what you have to do is you've got to work on yourself to be like, but I'm going to pretend like I don't have Internet with regards to responsible behavior and work. Mm, I like it. Yeah. And so so. What I do is generally on the, let's say, let's say I'm on a, um, and Matt Ray will sympathize here. Let's say I'm on a eight to uh, 15 hour flight, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like the, the, the top and the tail hour, you're responsible. You're like sending some emails. You might be talking in Slack. You're like, oh, I'm on a plane. Right. Sorry, I can't make your meeting. I'm traveling. That's one of my favorites for not doing something. Uh, and, you know, so you've got to kind of like deploy this hour, right? But beyond that hour, you're just like, I don't know, I'm over fucking Siberia. Shit don't work, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and then so you can, but, and yet 
it still kind of does work more or less. So you can engage with your internet activities, uh, whatever they may be. Now, however, being also, um, what's the phrase? Um, truthful, not truthful, accurate about it. I have found that when you are over Siberia, the internet doesn't work. So there, there is kind of like a certain point where genuinely it doesn't work. Like, I don't know when that is, but there is a significant, especially crossing the Atlantic, it just doesn't function. And so that's when you catch up on Marvel movies. Well, but I was going to say, though, like, I feel like at this point, like, it's very airline specific. I have been told, and I don't know this firsthand, that Delta Internet, I think, in the continental United States is fantastic. Like, it's, you can, it's like broadband. You can do whatever yes, you want. Absolutely. Now, I do know firsthand, Southwest and American totally hit or miss. If someone's like, hey, I was on Southwest, it's like, Basically, that just means they could probably text you, but that was it. Like, you're not going to do anything. And then American, I think, is very spotty as well. So I think it's almost uh, you have to, like, know what airline they're on, where they're flying to. And then, Uh of course, like, now I think the excuse I come up with a lot of times is, like, well, I don't have my big monitors. You know, it's like, oh, I got to I don't have my stuff. I don't have my. I don't have my my three screens. And how? how can I work? Sometimes there's like an expense report or like certain things. I'm just like, well, I I, I can't do that on my laptop. I need my big screen because. Oh yeah. You know, yeah so you yeah, have the receipt the, on one screen and and, and got to see all the cells and well, uh, you know the PowerPoint. And I, I'm old. I, I can't I, see well, so I don't yeah. know. So that's another um, just fake uh, excuse I come up with when I don't. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. No, I, I, I. Go go ahead. I mean, I'm I, I'm the opposite of Kote. So I don't want internet. Um, I mean, for the longest time, and, and you know, this is still kind of true, you know, uh, there's not going to be internet on the flights across the Pacific. Um, mm, or yeah. there hasn't been, or, you know, right. I was flying Every American or, yep. or whatever, right? Um, and so I looked at it as like, oh, you know, the next 15 hours is, is quality, you know, offline time. And so I had the laptop, you know, chock full of downloads and catch up on reading and, you know, the, the downside, of course, is like, you know, you go to build some code and, of course, it has a dependency and, you know, you got to hit stack. Oh, the worst. The worst. But but I, 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 I embraced it. I was just like, you know, oh, next 15 hours, it's, you know, cone of silence. Um, but now, you, I, I mean, I, I wanted to stay in that that lifestyle. And now you're telling me like, no, Internet's actually good everywhere now because I'm still in kind of no, denial. I, like, totally I don't even cool. check. Yeah. And yeah. I think well, you have the ultimate get out of jail free. I mean, listen, I mean, you're flying a route where there's, I mean, there's like nothing. There's like Tasmania. There's just not, I mean, there's literally I mean, still that Amazon um, satellite thing or Starlink. I mean, there's like, you're you're not getting anything, man. There's literally nothing over there. So See? You, okay, good. Thanks for making my excuses for me. I know you got yeah. like at least 10 hours. I don't know exactly the flight path, but like, it feels like you got a good 10, 12 hours of just like, we are oh, over yeah. nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, we're one. Uh, we're just one mishap away from an episode of Lost starting, right? That's where you're at. There's you no know that, that that does cross my mind every single flight. <laughs> yes, yeah, like, I, I, no I, you know the the, you. the 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 principle I live by. I think I forget if this is in, it must have been in two thousand six or seven or something. Like I I was this is back when uh, Twitter was a thing that people did, and uh, I remember oh, tweeting yeah. something about like you know I'm not sure if uh, if if I should. It was worded more cleverly than this, to my credit. But like, I'm on a plane for work. I don't know if I should be working or not working or zoning out. And I think it was one of the Illuminata or Illuminata people at the time. I forget which one was was just like, no, if you're an analyst and you're on a plane, you don't work. Like, oh, okay. it's just that, right. that's your time to like zone out. 
And that really stuck with me. I don't know if it was Jonathan Eunice or John Collins or uh, maybe it's some of the MWD people, but like it really like, yeah, it makes sense. And, and I think this is one of those things where like, if you travel a lot for work, as as many of us do, you uh, if you were a manager of those people or some sort of auditor, without a doubt, you'd be like, yeah, just don't do anything. It's fine. Right. Like the, the plane is like the sacred time to just chill out. It's, you know, you got to deal it. with it's enough my shit sacred time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's part of your reward, you know, uh, so so don't do stuff on the plane. It doesn't make sense unless you brought your big monitors. In which case, go right ahead. Well, speaking of big monitors, there was a, uh, you know, I, I always enjoy Timothy Prickett Morgan. He's over at the IT jungle. And, uh, you know, one of the things he does, which which I, you know, I would never be able to do it this way, but I think he is supreme at taking the uh, the Gartner and otherwise market estimates and just kind of going over them and adding some commentary. And so he looked at the most recent uh, public cloud um sort of like forecasts and estimates from Gartner, uh, which was great. And, you know, he looked over it. And as we said over the years, the uh, the thrilling part about covering the revenue and the uh, the TAMs of public cloud companies is nothing because <laughs> they are always big and growing. Uh, and so like, other than the numbers, I think one of the things in his his kind of write-up that I thought was, there were a couple of things that I thought were very interesting, which you know you can you can rely on for for uh, TPM to give you being a um, a veteran reporter. He brought up two points that I thought were great. One is that it was a reminder that in the correct me if I'm wrong, but the would you say the early 2010s, maybe late 2000s, early 2010s, there was this notion that platform as a service was going to be a big deal. Right. And and yeah. that like SaaS was going to be a big deal, which I think panned out, obviously. <laughs> but like uh, Azure and Google both sort of went for platform as a service as like the thing. And yeah. their reasoning was that. Why would you want infrastructure like that? You're just going to build up this thing on top of it. And infrastructure is just a bunch of hassles. So let's just like deploy this pass thing. So that was his first point. And I think the, uh, the, the, the second thing that was interesting was that kind of evoked in my mind was remembering at the time, you know, I was doing some, some, uh, some strategy for cloud for, for a company. And it reminded me that at the time, you know, let's say t- 2009 to 2013, like if you had gone to one of the traditional vendors, which is to say, uh, hardware vendors, and you had told them how much money it was going to cost you to get into cloud, they would have told you this was a stupid idea, right? Like you're going to spend all this money. It's not going to be worth it. It's not going to pay off. It's a terrible investment for us. And yet here we are. And so and so there's two things there. One is like that past thing. That's interesting. Didn't really pan out that way. Right. But then two, I don't think it's an, an an example of the innovator's dilemma or disruptive theory or something, but there's something interesting to be learned from actually, even in 2010 and 2011 and 2012, if HP and Dell and IBM would have spent untold billions of dollars building out a public cloud, you, it you, might've been a good idea. 
but right, are, like, are you are you are you like forgetting about you know HP Cloud and you know and, well and now and, and, I I I don't I don't know the numbers of everyone spending, but right. my memory. But, uh, but my point is like you, you know I think 2011 2012 that was you know. Oh, that well, was OpenStack, and I, I I agree, I agree. But but I remember doing with 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 Brandon and I's old friend Probacher. I remember doing some some decks, some spreadsheets, and they were kind of like what you see from uh, Charles Fitzgerald nowadays, where like Amazon was spending. I'm going to make up numbers to make a point. Sure. Amazon would be spending like three billion dollars a year, mm-hmm. like like ten billion cumulative. And then all these other vendors would be like, how about 50 million? Right, right. Right. Yeah. And and it was just sort of like, yeah, you got to turn the knob way up. <laughs> right. Like, check it out. We build a 747 and they're like, check it out. I've got a home, you know, I've got a home right. airplane. And, and, and so there's some sort of like, other than just being like, I don't know, you don't want to take risks or something, but there's some kind of like, theory of thinking just like it like like uh you know um innovators dilemma disruptive stuff where you don't have the whatever to invest an insane amount of money the whatever <laughs> as cote holds his hands suggestively in front of the but screen <laughs> I, I i mean I, I don't mean it that way i'm just gesturing with my hands in fact like like but but the, i i don't know what that is like but it's clear in this case you, that you don't like, have the commitment, the confidence. You 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 are yeah. trying to be wishy washy about your commitment to what has to be a big spend. I think and, it's that, and yeah. I would add on to it like you don't have any institutional knowledge. Like you go back, that AWS, too. That too. It, it's, Amazon, it's a one-two punch. Yeah, You're Amazon was very um, yeah. familiar with spending tons on you know capital costs because to run the site. Google, I think much the same, right? They were just used to spending tons of infrastructure. So I think that's the heart. And Microsoft, I think we can say this is a special case, but I think when you're in the, and maybe this is when you and Parker are having the strategy discussions, I think it's just so easy for like Adele uh, and IBM, uh, HP to say, well, yeah, no, or Oracle, like we, we're in, we want to do it. And mm. let's, yeah, you know what? We're going to be in, we'll do it for a hundred million. And feeling like that's a really safe bet and a good, you know, let's like proof of concept. But to your point, it's like at some point, if you don't have the table stakes, you just never, you never get there. And so I think that's probably in retrospect, what we could say that those, those companies made a very rational, smart decision at the time that in, the, in hindsight, for sure, was, yeah, was yeah, yeah. Really awful. It, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like the opposite of a future looking sunk cost fallacy, where it's like, no, you, you got to sink it all. Right. Like, like, don't, don't, don't like, well, don't I mean, envision there's, that. I, there's, I a know, there's, between, weird there. between, there's a difference between making the right decision and the safe decision. Right. Yeah. So, well you know, the, yes. that, that's what it is. They're, they're looking at, mm. you know, well, if I do this, you know, the stock market's going to be happy with whatever it is that we've decided. And, you know, meanwhile, Amazon's like, hey, hey, stock market, we don't care. We're making, you know, five, five year bets. And, you know, the stock market looked at Amazon like, okay, we'll let you do that. But if, if, you know, the traditional players did that, well, they get gobbled up by PE, right? Mm. So, so I, I like that because I think, I think that's getting towards the, the issue of it. And let, let's, let's, let's put it this way where 
we talk over the years every now and then about the permission that your uh, let's call them shareholders give you to do things. And maybe, maybe that's part of it is it really is like legitimately uh, we don't have permission to spend billions of dollars on this speculative thing. And we haven't really like built, built up uh, the ability to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, you know, to put a couple numbers to it, though, I think, you know, kind of looking at some of the actual overall spend here, um, the PAS number for 2023 was 145 billion. And then the, I guess the infrastructure as a service was 143 billion. And then the SAS leading the way was 205 billion. So I think it is kind of interesting um, when you look at all three of those things, like one, they're all very distinct big markets. Maybe it's not a surprise SAS leads the way, but this is sort of like, I think a cloudcast thing. They always say it's like, you know, it's never one technology displaces the other. It's always and. And so <laughs> maybe this is like a lesson we've learned in IT forever is that no, no, people want every option. And so all of these markets are pretty thriving businesses and will probably continue to be thriving businesses well, for the foreseeable future. And the idea that PaaS probably does make the most sense. Probably that's why people jump to it. I guess Google and um, uh, Azure, I, they, they said for sure this would be the solution. But no, in the end, people have real needs for infrastructure as a service. What were you going to say, Matt? I, I feel like we're kind of possibly seeing this you know, safe decision versus right decision and some of the AI space where um, Amazon doesn't have like, you know, hey, we are firmly committed behind this one thing. Instead, they're playing the field. And that feels like, you know, that will get you, that will get you whatever the field gets, you know, and the field gets whatever's left over from one and two. Um, and, And so I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, AWS still is king of the cloud, but um, when it comes to the AI space, they're kind of considered third. Yeah. And th- nobody looks at what their strategy is and says, you know, that's the compelling strategy to, you know, take take the lead. They're just kind of like, well, that that's playing the field. Yeah. Well, maybe mm-hmm. it's interesting to contrast like this, because this is the past with kind of the AI situation we're in now. It's like, Who's all in? It seems like Microsoft was the first to just go all in on the investment with OpenAI as well as the spend. And, you know, now I guess, you know, when we can kind of see it, I think we talked about it last week around who's buying the most GPUs. I think it was like uh, Microsoft and um, Meta. <laughs> Meta was the other one. So, you know, it's an interesting question now because there are a lot of companies that are announcing AI initiatives, but kind of, kind of to some, you know, our earlier, you know, discussion, it's like, not many of them appear on that chart though, right? They sort of like, oh, we've got a model and here's something kind of interesting you can do versus like, you look at that chart and like- Facebook. Yeah, the, the thing about the, the chart the that we're referred to is like, I want to see NVIDIA's number, right? Because they're, they're the arms dealer who's also building themselves like, you know, their own compound. Yeah, right? their own their own uh, cloud, in fact, right? So, yeah, yeah, so uh, you know, they're like, oh, we gave those guys 150 million or 150,000 or, you know, whatever- relatively small number it is and they're like oh by the way we kept you know eight hundred thousand for ourselves yeah so i guess it's kind of interesting maybe it's just a question for us is like i don't know i kind of feel like everyone's building all these models and at some point they'll just kind of be a commodity there'll be so many that uh and but maybe that's the same thinking as someone's like hey everyone's building infrastructure as a service and at some point you know we all just have it and it's like actually no that didn't work out that way like you had to spend a lot so maybe there's an argument to me be made. It's like, no, no, like you got to go do the hard work and have all the GPUs to build 
whatever, mm-hmm. all the next greatest models. And anyone that's not doing that isn't going to be really be a player. But I think, you know, looking at it right now, I don't know if I was in the boardroom and I saw two strategies, like mortgage, everything, buy as many GPUs as you can versus like, you know what, let's just get the open source uh, model and uh, let's just tune it for our data set and see what happens. Yeah. We'll, you know, like, we'll grab all of them. When, and yeah. yeah to your we'll, statement that it, the safety, <laughs> that feels like the safe decision, right? We'll buy some of those Chinese GPUs and we'll call it a day. Yeah, I don't know if it's the right decision, but it feels real safe. Like you're like, you know what? Let's do that. I'm going to get my bonus and let's, you know, move on to the next thing. I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I, I think in, and this, the following isn't like a universal like truth in this kind of stuff. It's just one of the many options you have in your toolkit. But it seems like there is a mode of building out your, uh, I don't know, your business and your strategy in the tech world, where your first goal is to get, let's, I'll, I'll keep being metaphoric, to get breathing room for a couple of years to innovate and do stuff. And how you establish that that room is kind of a mystery. So for example, you have the breathing room to just like we were talking about earlier, like dump a bunch of money into your like your public cloud stuff. And in this case, it's almost like with AI stuff, you have to have the breathing room or the time to just spend a bunch of money that makes no money. You got to like build out the hardware, build out your proprietary models. Mm-hmm. Even if you were to use an open source model, your issue is not use an open source model, but use all the other models. Like, I really don't know what I'm talking about here, but like when I was listening to, uh, you know, what's going on with like um, Amazon and all their AI stuff, like it seems kind of like, yeah, but you have very little that makes me need to use you. Like you just run the stuff for me, right? Like versus like the kind of lead that someone like a Microsoft and an open AI has is like, it's, not describable, but like, obviously they know what they're doing. So I would use them. And so they have almost like this permission to do weird and wacky stuff because they have this lead, this to use your, your favorite thing, brand, and they have the story part mm, of like, yeah. of like the share price. So they are allowed like fucking around versus like, you know, if someone like Oracle or even worse, like Cisco came in here with some AI thing, like their shareholders would just be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, because, because we don't see it next quarter or, you know, we don't see it at two quarters, you know? We, right. We, and, and so there's something about like, and maybe this is like one of the mat, well, not maybe, but obviously this is one of the magical things that like Microsoft figured out is like, whatever it is I'm talking about, right. Where you get this like space to like innovate or do something. Yeah. And I don't really know how you achieve that. And well, I do think to your point though, Microsoft, I think really kind of won that kind of bought that from OpenAI and ChatGPT because I think that's sort of the moment was like, well, Ch- OpenAI sort of gives the whole thing validation out of nowhere. They create a thing that has a hundred million you know, monthly active users. Right. And it's just sort of like nobody saw it company and Microsoft immediately makes the investment, gets the alignment. And I think that's sort of to your point, that's the story that like just as an investor, you're just like, well, I don't know. This group of people seems like they really have some good ideas. Let's give they them know more what money. They're doing. Yeah, let's just give them more. Even if even if we don't feel like you know what they're doing, we're like, let's just give them more money because their track record 
is yeah. very impressive here versus yeah, like yeah. pick any of the other kind of older companies or or just like anyone else it's like everyone else is just saying they they're gonna they you know everyone just says well we've been doing this too for all this time and you should believe us and it's like but well, we 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 know that you haven't done anything like open ai you didn't create something that has a hundred million users and it's sort of redefining the category now whether or not the category becomes something big you know we probably don't know, but I think as an investor, you're like, well, I'm going to give my money to OpenAI and Microsoft and just see what happens because they do have the best story at the moment. Right, mm. right. I mean, you 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 want to bet on the companies that are willing to make bets, not the ones who are just playing along. Who you know, right. not those who are in the game, but those are those who are you know calling the shots and 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 trying to actually you know make make the change. And you can also tell, like, the other thing, you know, you can't help but notice is just, like, sort of an investor mindset is, like, how much on the back foot AWS and Google are, right? Like, just this week, Google introduces Gemini, which, by all accounts, you know, is as good, if not better, than ChatGPT. But the first thing we find out about it is that they, like, fake the demo, right? And it's, like... You know, it just kind of gives yeah. gives uh, off this vibe of like, uh, you know, you you don't seem like for the company that's quote been doing it and invented it and sort of had all the AI researchers well, working there, <laughs> you don't give off confidence that like you're really leading if you yeah, kind of yeah. even if the demo faking the demo is just sort of like not a big deal. Maybe, maybe no, no. I mean, maybe that's the reason you have an AI ethics team. Is first rule of AI ethics team: don't fake the demo. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. It's just sort of immediately, uh, like it does immediately open yourself up. And then the same thing with AWS. It's just like, you know, again, like we watched the entire keynote where I think I even said on this podcast, I said I'm like, they said safety like eight, eight million times, and so like literally the next day, a newsletter comes out saying, well, turns out there's some reports of it, like leaking privacy information and hallucinating. And this is like the next day, the cute, right? And so, you know, again, are these things really true? Like how big a deal are they in the long term? Maybe not, but it's sort of like as if you're telling the story and the investor side of it, it's like, wow, you know, it does look like your biggest competitors are really trying to rush to ca- catch up so much so that they're making mistakes and kind of, if you will, invalidating their own offerings. It is going to be like a, a mystery. Hopefully someone solves where like, as you were saying, like, like Google had all of this stuff and still they felt the need to fake a demo. Like I used, I, I went and used the, uh, the Bard thing for my usual absurd Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And I, f- I feel like aside from the inability to upload files, it was better. Like it was really fast. It even had kind of like a nicer UI. It was more inventive. Like uh, it seemed to work out pretty well. So I don't know why you'd have to like, fake some demo i actually didn't watch that but it is uh it, it's quite but it's just was, it's really like lack of confidence you know what i mean like when you feel mm-hmm. like you have the winning hand right and you feel like you know you just you don't have to follow these things you don't worry about it you're like yeah, put the demo up just make it just make it what it is right just do the youtube thing where but i think it's when it's you're feeling a lot of pressure to like respond and look good and like everything has to be perfect and you're not totally confident in what you have. I think that's why you start to make these mistakes, right? Or you like create like, I mean, the classic one is like, you know, we're <laughs> no one company I'm going to single out here, but like you kind of see it everywhere. It's sort of like, I'm not sure they have that much with AI, but they've clearly hired like a press and marketing agency to like whip up a campaign, right? And like some mm. airport ads and some stuff like commercials. And you're like, well, we don't have the thing, right? 
that's often the move, right? You get a bunch of executives, you talk about it and it's just inspiring, but then it doesn't really do anything. And I always think, you know, it's a sign of sort of like weakness when the commercials and all that stuff, like you just kind of know there's nothing behind it. And I think there's mm-hmm. lots of companies you can point to where you see that that's going on. I, w- I want to see a commercial for AI stuff. That's basically just like, Hey kids, are you tired of doing homework? <laughs> <laughs> and then it just gives I don't think a you advertise that. I think that word of mouth on that is out. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's got good word of mouth. I think well, that the, is. Yeah, I think there you go. The power. Mouth. That would be a good case study. Then the power of word of mouth among students. <laughs> well, well. Speaking of word of mouth, now uh, we also also this past week, uh, Nutanix or Nutanix. How do you say that? I should probably sure. know. Working at the Nutanix, company that I do. I think. That's how I say. Uh, it. They they uh, bought uh, Mesosphere. Data center whoa, of the future. Whoa, 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 whoa. They did not buy Mesosphere. They bought the assets of Mesosphere. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Very big distinction. <laughs> yeah, big distinction for everyone. <laughs> now, now, what does that mean Mesosphere is then? Gone. It means it's gone. It means they just sort of, someone, they just like, this, we're shutting this down. And someone said, okay, they bought the what IP would you like? What intellectual yeah. property from this would you like? And you don't have to hire anyone and you don't have does to. That, does that mean they get like the chairs too? Yeah. They could. I mean, it's really whatever they want to buy. Unless they were in a WeWork. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so like I trademark the whatever intellectual property that goes with it, and maybe a little bit of source code, right? Well, good. That was a good clarification. But and then they like, usually I, hire. This is another point. They usually hire a, a few key people on contract, right? Oh, I see. Out. I see. Because if you hire the assets, done, you no longer right? have the responsibility for the employees. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They don't have any of that. They don't have any of the stock options. And they're like, okay, we'll just take this. And then they'll say like, here are three people you should hire for six months to at least least answer questions. And then. Oh, that's great. You no longer have the responsibility for humans, just, uh, (laughs) just computers. I don't know. It's (laughs) it's interesting to look at it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, so uh, that aside or that in front of us. So what you are a big fan of Mesosphere everything brandon like what was uh what and and i'm not asking this to say that like oh look at that silly thing but like like what was your like what what was your vision for like why mesosphere was interesting because because i agree with you like it was a fascinating interesting like company and thing like that but you were very like you're always very enthusiastic about it so well so give, us, give I, us a recap of that I do. I mean, I guess the the thing, and to be fair about it, what I really was enthusiastic, I always thought their messaging or their product marketing of Dennis data center operating system or DCOS uh-huh. was always the right metaphor. Not unlike, you know, I know you, obviously, you know, Kote, you have the history with Pivotal and just sort of like someone sort of coming out, like, no, this is the way we should really think of it. It's like, ultimately what we want is software that takes this crazy complex data center and just sort of wires it up like an operating system where there's so many things in an operating system we just depend on day to day the scheduler, the memory management, it just works, right? We can build software, we can do crazy stuff and it all just works. And I always liked, uh, cause I think Mesosphere came out of like Twitter, right? I can't remember the whole lineage. Yeah. Yeah. That's the um, story. And I remember like reading about that. This is back when, this is back when Twitter infrastructure, I think. Was, Actually, I think I mean, they came out of academia. Was it? Well, I think it was academia and then Twitter started using yeah. it. And they then were, it, yeah. Twitter was um, like, one of the flagship customers. Right. And I just sure. thought like, it seemed like they were sort of, you know, and then of course there was like the whole story of like, you know, Twitter for a long time. Although this is funny to say this now, it's like there was a period of when Twitter had all these problems was going down, but that was all before it was X. Right. And then it seemed like they had at least these smart people and they sort of had kind of like, you know, taken this idea of data center operating system. And I thought it was like a really good message. And I thought like it was kind of the right message. And I, at the time it was like, Oh, well maybe this will win out. 
in the, you know, not just containers, but like they're sort of going to take the metaphor and simplify it all. That was sort of the part that I always thought was interesting. Of course, none of that happened. <laughs> you know, Kubernetes burst onto the scene and, you know, I don't, I think in the end, Mesosphere probably just never had a chance once the, 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 the community, the larger community decided that uh, Kubernetes was the way. I, I think, you know, it's, it was one of these things like they were probably dead for three years ago, right? And it's just taken this mm-hmm. long because um, I think they just had a, you know, a few, you know, big customers and, you know, I don't know. I just think when, this is kind of like the opposite of uh, the success story. Like, I don't necessarily think they did anything wrong. I just think they sort of got run over by the Kubernetes truck, but I still like the metaphor. And, you know, if you think about the um, wall of confusion slide where we, we just like see like the, like 500 companies on the CNCF slide, it's like, you know, I always thought data DCOS was sort of like a better answer than having like just all of the stuff you have to figure out, well, well, but it has not gone that way at all. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can pick up the, the marketing collateral on the cheap, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe that's right. What can I just buy? Can, can I get a trademark, please? Yeah. But to your point, I mean, Kote, obviously you went through this with Pivotal a little bit and we already referenced like Google and Microsoft. I think they all, they all, they all kind of had the same idea. It's like, hey, don't, let's not just replicate the same problem and just sort of like vomit infrastructure everywhere. Um, let's, let's take, you know, let's try to make it simpler this time. But again, like, as we just kind of went over, like the, the market has, you know, completely rejected that idea. And, and yes, people want infrastructure as a service and that's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, to tie together the uh, the TPM piece and what you were just saying, I'd, 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 uh, I, I only vaguely remember what you were just articulating, which is the data center of the future thing. And I think I think the Kubernetes world coasted on this idea for a little bit at first, but then it doesn't exist anymore. It was just like treating the data center as a computer was mm-hmm. kind of like a little bit of the vision. In the same way that like, like I think about this more frequently than I should, but like, you know, the word rice, you have pieces of rice, but there's not a singular or a plural for rice. There's just rice. And so like, if you look at like a bowl of rice that you've cooked, what is that? Is that a rice? Is it rice? I feel like you cook that whole bowl and it's a rice. So it gets very confusing. And I think that's why this kind of idea that the data center is just one com- computer doesn't really pan out. And then everyone just ends up wanting to like, you know, pay attention to the individ- individual pieces of rice and worry about that and build it up on their own instead of just concerning themselves with a rice. So, but two other fun facts out of this one. Um, and I like the rice metaphor. I'm going to now I am going to have to go look up the what is the plural of rice or the singular of rice but I'll, I'll do that later on my own time but my question uh the thing i thought was interesting about this is that you know just happenstance docker acquired this company atomic jar uh this week for 25 million it looks like a fine solution a testing startup yeah, yeah. but uh it just it just reminded me though that the new docker in is uh, valued at over 2 billion and of course they've mm-hmm. completely divested themselves of all things uh container management they're just a developer thing and it's like it's just interesting how it's played out, right? It's like, wow, like out of, you know, the ashes of the Docker container management um, has come a company that's like, you know, that looks very successful. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what that means. I, I guess it's just sort of like in the end, it's like, you know, you can always, I don't know. There is a way, I guess it's like, I don't know. I was trying to think of myself in enterprise software. Maybe it's one of the most successful, like, 
I don't even want to call it a pivot or a recapitalizations, but like, I can't think of anything that was basically left for dead and now yeah, yeah. grown back to 2 billion, which it, it's, it's like the, uh, like, 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 like Docker is like the, uh, the Microsoft of unicorns, right? Like they figured yeah. out how to like kind of reinvent themselves and rebirth themselves. We got to, uh, we'll, we'll see how it finally ends up, but it seems, yeah. It seems I mean, like- obviously there's a long way to go. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. And the other thing that I was just thinking is like, well, you know, back to Matt's uh, point, like, well, what if I did own the data center operating system? Like, what could you wrap it around? And it's like, well, maybe AI, right, is the way around this. It's like, the problem is we have all these computers. We're trying to make it all work together. You know, right now, even with all the stuff of Kubernetes, it's still really complicated. So maybe there is a artificial intelligence kind of way to like, okay, like, hey, you know, figure out where all the YAML goes and something like that. So maybe, <laughs> you know, um, you know, as we I, kind of talk about I all that. I think the, I saw your booth at KubeCon, Brandon. I know. I feel like this is like, you know, I feel like that's, I mean, that's all I got, right? I just got like AI. Figure out where all the YAML goes. That's literally all I, uh, I don't have anything else. I have no other ideas or code about what it is. But, but my idea is just sort of like, no, it does feel like the reason there isn't a data center of the future is that at least right now, our operating system is like, it's just too complicated. Like no one can keep it all in their head. And it just gets like, it only takes a few computers and two or three applications before you're like, I've lost it. I don't know what it is. So like, I don't know, you know, I kind of look to the future. I'm like, this does feel like the problem that, okay, just lots of different processes and applications could AI, you know, be our way out of this. So I have no idea, probably not, but uh, I just like that idea. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Well, speaking of getting our ways out of this, any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? (laughs) Let's see. I sent some stickers to Michael in Pennsylvania. So I appreciate him writing in. Uh, if you'd like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I'll be happy to send you one anywhere in the world. Well, there's a few conferences coming up that, that we want to mention. One, January 29th. That's the end of January, more or less. There's going to be uh, that conference in Round Rock, which uh, I, I have never been to, but Brandon has. Seems lovely. <laughs> Also, uh, March 14th to 17th, there's the SCALE conference, also DevOps Days LA. And uh, I I think they listed it, but I'll be speaking at DevOps Days LA, so I'll be there. That'll be nice. And then there's also DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama, uh, in April. I don't know if there's CFPs open, but you should go check and uh, and see if it is. And if you're interested in us mentioning your conference or even coming to your conference, you should contact us. And uh, if you don't know how to contact us, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and uh, you can probably figure it out. Uh, but in the meantime, go to devopsdaysbirmingham.com. I hope that's a URL, devopsdays.org. And uh, you can apply to speak there. I'm sure it will be lovely. Now, with that, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this episode? So I've got a, an anti-recommendation and a recommendation. And... Uh... My recommendation is uh, you should check out Reese's Mini Peanut Butter Cups. They're for baking, but they're actually like the perfect size for just eating one at a time. And they don't have the wrapper. So, you know, um, it's it's just like the essence of Reese's, piece, uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, bite size, mm. perfect. Um, but uh, my anti-recommendation goes along with my, my keyboard odyssey that I've been on. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there were some complaints that my keyboard might be too loud. So I was like, fine, fine. I'll get the, the uh, Keychron sells an acoustic kit. And uh, it's, it's <laughs> got that a real s- phrase. What is that? Keychron. <laughs> Keychron's the name of the keyboard company. Okay. All right. All right. And then they have an acoustic kit, which is like little 
like special sound dampening foam that you can put inside the body of the keyboard to you know dampen the the echoes or you know whatever sure and the problem is like you have to be really good at installation and i'm not (laughs) so what i ended up with is like keys that were spongy where you know or or you know they'd stick and i just it 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 was it was a lesson in frustration where uh, i got this i installed it i you know kept messing around with it and eventually i just threw it out so um maybe maybe it'll work for you but my my recommendation is uh uh, leave it to the experts or just live with it how about yourself brandon oh i just i just amazed that people complained about the sound so much that they actually created a whole sound dampening project for the keyboard. That's, that's (laughs) well. essentially they have something for everyone. If you're like, you know what? I wish my keys came in festive holiday colors. They have that, right? They have, you know, a Christmas kit for keys. And you're like, you know what? My keys are too sticky. They sell key key. They sell lube for your, your switches. I mean, like literally they're going to have everything. I, I think, I think the product manager there is probably like, we want everyone to use our keyboards, and so we will make them perfect for everyone. <laughs> exactly that that is it. But but it's also it's a very DIY thing that you know they sell kits of everything. You know you can assemble everything you want. And it's like um, I'm not good enough at assembling an acoustic kit. Is, is essentially why it's my anti-pick. Oh, very nice. Right. Well, it's hard. You know, kudos to the keyboard community. I still I'm rocking my uh, what am I working Apple keyboard? That seems. Dark ages, man. Dark ages. I don't know. It just is what it is. It seems pretty quiet, but I don't know. So, Uh, but that's not my recommendation. My recommendation this week is pretty niche. This is so I read the book called The Fund, which is uh, some narrative nonfiction reporting about Bridgewater, which is the hedge fund started by uh, Ray Dalio, who we sometimes you know refer to uh, Matt as the Ray Dalio of this podcast because it's uh, (laughs) he's a legendary investor. And I will just say this book was insane. Um, I had read some things about the Bridgewater culture, but like, I don't know. I only can describe it as just one of the starkest Orwellian corporate environments ever been described in print. So there, uh, the short summary is that Ray Dalio has, you know, written somewhere between two and 300 principles that he believes the company must kind of adhere to at all times. And so what they then implemented was, uh, an application in iPads where, you it, uh, rate every interaction with every other employee about them adhering to these principles. And if they don't um, adhere to the principles, then, you know, they basically get negative scores. So it's like that black, um, what is it then? Uh, what am I trying? Black mirror episode where someone has like a score across their, their thing all the time. Oh, and ultimately, yeah. um, so it just goes on and on about all the crazy things that went on in there. And I, I guess the idea behind it is that uh, it promotes radical candor, right? So this idea that you know, just, you know, you should just say what's on your mind and not hold anything back. But <laughs> paradoxically, it seems like when you listen to all the interviews is that it caused the opposite effect. Like people were afraid to speak, didn't want to be uh, said the wrong way. And of course, the person that was usually always right was not surprisingly Ray Dalio. So that part was great. And then finally, um, James Comey, who you may know as the former attorney general of the United States, um, and you know, had numerous run-ins with Trump. We won't cover those here. But he worked there, I guess, before in between his government jobs. So they kind of have all these crazy examples of like where he was tasked with running these like trials and investigations of like just kind of petty corporate politics, which is like just I don't know. It's just crazy that 
um, that he did this. And I guess my final thought about the whole book is like, I guess when you pay above market or significantly above market, um, people will pretty much tolerate anything. So, uh, so with that, so I don't know if you're interested in corporate cultures, you're interested in finance, you probably want to take a look at it. If not, maybe just read some of the articles about how crazy it is. So, and then, uh, and probably the best read is like, you know, maybe, maybe things at your job are not perfect. Maybe it's not going exactly what you want. Uh, so this is a good book just to read to be like, well, at least I don't work there. That, that place seems totally crazy. So, so check it out if you're interested in it. Do you recommend listening to this book or reading it? Well, as you know, Kote, I listen to pretty much all my books. So I listened to it. I thought it was, you know, it's kind of like a book of stories. So I think it's very good as an audio book, but I'm sure it would be good as a reading as well. That makes sense. If it's, if it's like some uh, narrative scenes, it, it would be much. And better. I guess Ray Dalio, I'm not, I'm not read. He has published his own book about the principles, which I guess I want to highlight is, I guess that is a heavily edited version of, from the people who work there. So if you want to hear yeah. just straight from him about, you know, sort of like, why, why it's all great. You can go read that one, which I will not read and have not read. So. Yeah. He, he was on an episode of like interviews uh, with Tyler and I, that, I don't know. I don't think this is about many episodes there, but that episode, I was like, I, I don't think this interview was very comprehensive. It, it, <laughs> he just came off as being just like a normal guy who makes a lot of money and like, uh, I don't think so. Anyhow, uh, my recommendation I've got a couple of follow-up recommendations, but first of all, uh, Kim and I started watching the third season of Sex Education, the TV show on Netflix. You know how it is when you get to season three or four of a show, especially on Netflix, it could go bad. But so far, this one is pretty good. So I think uh, it's it's not I so bad. I haven't gotten there yet, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's got Agent Scully in it. How could it go wrong, right? Like it's <laughs> and it's got that like hunk of a Swedish guy too. So whatever whatever you got going on, it's it's good to see. I just have some follow up uh, recommendations. So I recommended uh, uh, how do you say her name? Ni- Nicola Griffith's uh, book Meanwood, uh, the 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 sequel to Hild. And I did finish reading the nine hundred and eighty pages or something of it, and it gets a little Moby Dick in the middle where there's where there's a lot of talk about wheat and barley and growing things but other than that it was pretty great uh and i enjoyed that and then as always i've been using descript a lot recently for uh video editing and uh i wouldn't say podcast podcast editing but converting videos into podcasts and descript is great it's uh it's a really good video editing app if you're into that well speaking of really good video editing apps maybe you've watched the video of this episode on youtube at the software defined talk channel or maybe you've listened to it in a podcast uh, and if you want to get links to things we talked about, all sorts of things we didn't talk about, how you can apply to the CFP for DevOps Days Birmingham, or um, I don't know, figure out what Reese's Mini Unwrapped are, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 445 and get all of those things. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Matt Ray turned off the robot vacuum cleaner that was making a nice little... Didn't turn it off. The door. The door. He made, it was making a nice little hum, like a little, uh, like you're on a plane, kind of little, little hum. Oh, it was yeah. nice. I liked it. It was a door and it just perfect. It was like noise canceling. Best, best, uh, best thing I bought in a long time. <laughs>